Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about troublemaking teens and forest-lurking fiends. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Jay King and Micah Edwards are voice talents Mick Dark and Luis Bermudez. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Jay King and is performed by Mick Dark, host of the series of the same name on our YouTube channel, 
In our first dose of the dreadful this evening, we'll meet Simon, a teenager with a bit of an identity crisis, who's bound to get a lesson in the game of life that he'll never forget. Without further ado, I present to you, The Tattoo. Like most teenage boys, I believe that I was a wolf, not a sheep. And like most teenage boys, I was wrong. I was very much a follower. Specifically a follower of Daniel Lawman. Daniel Lawman was the coolest boy in school. Handsome, charming, and effortlessly intelligent. I ached to be someone like him. But along with everyone else, all I could hope for was the occasional crumb of his attention. I was not a stupid kid, and I often did well at school, but I'm embarrassed to admit that for the longest time, the moment I recalled with the most pride was the day that I made Daniel laugh. I don't remember what the joke was, but the whole class laughed, and I got a detention because of it. I didn't realize that I had caught Daniel's attention until that afternoon. We were in the locker rooms, getting changed for P.E., when out of the blue he came up behind me, and he punched me on the shoulder. Great one this morning, Simon, he grinned. Killed it. I stared at him, open mouth, willing myself to say something, to say anything. The best achievement was a stuttered, thanks. He tapped a finger at me. You should be a comedian. And then I found out just how much of an impression my joke had made when he suddenly decided to share with me his secret. He glanced around to make sure no one was watching, and then, turning slightly to the side, lifted his shirt. Check this out, he said, smirking. On his ribcage was a tattoo, a red eagle, wings wide, claws dripping blood. Hideously cliched, I now realize, but at the time, it was the coolest and most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Where did you get that? I breathed. And how? Don't you have to be 18 to get a tattoo? Daniel shrugged. My cousin Steve did it. He's a great artist. He pulled his shirt back down, tucking it into his trousers. <laughs> I got it as an early birthday present. He laughed. Two years early. He offered me a charming grin and a wink. Hey, don't tell anyone, yeah? I don't want to get Steve into trouble. I nodded with enthusiasm. For the first time in my life, I felt... Part of an exclusive club. One of the few people who knew something intimately private about Daniel Lawman. To be honest, that was pretty much the entirety of my relationship with Daniel. He rarely spoke to me after that, and I don't think I ever made him laugh again. But it didn't matter. I always would have that moment in the changing rooms. That instance of trust. And the sight of that tattoo. God, I dreamt about it. I sketched it endlessly, wishing that it was on my skin. Whether it was the design itself or my association with the boy who had it, I don't suppose I'll ever know. But I wanted it. I needed it. I would stare at myself in the mirror and feel that I looked incomplete. Because my skin was unmarked and boring, with a dull patch on my ribcage where a red eagle should be. I resolved to get one, too and I was sure that I couldn't wait two years to do so. I probed tattoo forms, asking whether anyone knew of an artist who might be a little flexible regarding the age of their clients. 
I tried to be as delicate as possible, of course, framing my questions as a general curiosity rather than an actual search. But I guess I wasn't careful enough. You want to see Jack, said the message. He'll do you. Then underneath, a phone number. Nothing else. The number was a landline, I saw, rather than a mobile, so I called it the next day. My heart pounded as it rang, and I found myself hoping that maybe no one would pick up. Then there was a click. Hello? The word was drawn out, almost sarcastic, and the voice was high and a little whiny. I tried to speak, coughed instead, and then managed to get my words out. Um, hi. I was told you do tattoos. Oh, yes, came the reply. I do, indeed. Would you like one? Jack, assuming that's who I was talking to, sounded delighted at the prospect and also somewhat patronizing, like an old woman offering a sweet to a child. Uh, yes, I said. I'm after a red eagle. Jack cut me off. I nodded and realized that was stupid and managed a week. Yes. Excellent! cried Jack. Bring your sweetness here tomorrow at seven o'clock sharp. He gave me an address in town. It was not an area I would have ever wanted to go to on my own. Also, my sweetness? But I wanted that tattoo. Some little madness has attached itself to my vulnerable adolescent brain and was telling me that I would only be complete when I had it. Only be cool when I had it. And so, the next day at 7 p.m., I went to see Jack. The sun had long since set by the time I arrived, my path lit only by flickering orange streetlights. The address was on a small industrial estate, squatting among small, grubby businesses, repair shops, and other units of indeterminate purpose. A handful of men stood around in scruffy, oversized clothing, with cold faces and piercing eyes. I had tried to dress to make myself inconspicuous. Jeans. A hoodie. But I still stuck out like a sore thumb, embarrassingly young and out of place. I hurried past them, not making eye contact. Eventually, I found the place I was looking for. The door was locked, and as this particular building had no windows, I couldn't see inside. I knocked and waited. My heart was pounding, and I was painfully aware of the cold-faced men watching me. No one answered, so I knocked again. An unpleasant suspicion began to form in my mind. Was this all a prank? Or worse, a setup? Oh God, was I about to be jumped by these guys? I was just about to make a run for it when I heard footsteps from inside the building and the scraping of locks. I held my breath, and then the door opened. At first, I couldn't make out anything at all. It was pitch black on the other side. Then, a pale face loomed into view. Hello! Jack stood before me. His face was long and thin with oddly bulging eyes, yellowish skin, and lank hair. He was tall with spindly legs and arms, but his torso was strangely round, with sagging breasts and a bloated stomach. He was wearing black overalls and a white apron, which he was wiping his fingers on as he stared at me 
I opened my mouth to speak, but didn't get the chance. Ah, yes, he cried. The young man who wants the tattoo. Of course, of course, come in, come in. He stepped aside, flapping his hand towards the darkness of the interior. I didn't want to go inside at all, but I found my feet carrying me forward, as if they didn't care what the rest of me wanted. Jack shut the door behind me, and I suddenly became aware of an unpleasant smell. Bleach, maybe, mixed with s something meaty. I couldn't tell whether it came from the building or from Jack himself. He skipped ahead of me, moving oddly lightly for someone so awkwardly built. I followed as if in a trance. As he led me into a room off the side of the entrance corridor, it was surprisingly brightly lit, filled with cupboards and shelves weighed down with bottles. In the middle of the room was a black chair that looked like a dark version of something you'd see at the dentist. Jack waved me to it. I sat down, and he perched delicately on a stool next to me. Now, young Simon, what can I do for you? I reached a shaking hand into my pocket and pulled out a piece of paper, onto which I had sketched the design of Daniel's tattoo. I passed it to Jack. I'd like this, please. Jack peered at it, an unsettling smile on his pudgy lips, his eyes oddly expressionless. How pretty, he exclaimed. But not, I think, an original. I had fully intended to pretend that it was, so the question caught me off guard, and the truth slipped out. Um, no. I copied it from a boy at school. <laughs> Sweet, sweet, Daniel. Jack giggled. A most unpleasant sound. I sat up straight in astonishment. You know Daniel? <laughs> Why, of course, my love, chuckled the man. I was the one who gave him this pretty picture. So Daniel had lied to me when he said his cousin had done the tattoo for him. I struggled to think of him coming to this place, sitting in this chair. It was strange to imagine the effortlessly cool Daniel in this creepy dump. However, I was also pleased. If Jack really had done Daniel's tattoo, then I could expect mine to look exactly the same. I pulled up my shirt and pressed my hand to my ribcage. I'd like it here, please. Jack's head snapped up, and he stared at my exposed skin. His mouth was slightly open, his eyes wide, but his face was bizarrely still, his expression unreadable. Then, he snapped into a smile and looked up at me. Of course! I lay back on the chair and shifted slightly to my side as Jack got up and moved around the room, picking items off of shelves, though I couldn't see what. I let my eyes wander, feeling nervous and excited. There was a clinking of bottles somewhere behind me. You know this is a painful procedure, yes? Inquired Jack. I replied that I did. Good, <laughs> good, good. Then perhaps a little something for the pain? I was about to ask what he intended when two things occurred to me. The first was that I couldn't see anything in the room that looked like a tattoo machine. And the other was that Jack had known my name without me telling him. And then, 
Jack stepped quickly up beside the chair and pressed a mask down upon my face, covering my mouth and nose. I struggled, but he held me down without difficulty, leaning down to stare into my eyes. Easy now, my love. You get what you came for. As I slipped into unconsciousness, he added, And I'll make sure you get home in one piece. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Several hours later, I finally found myself back to consciousness. I remembered fever dreams of horrible sounds, slicing, screams maybe, an awful image of Jack standing over me with blood on his face whilst he chewed on a pale sliver of something. He was staring into my eyes as he did so, his pupils impossibly big in the bright room. I was lying on my bed, in my room. I tried desperately to remember how I'd got there, but I couldn't recall anything. Dawn was breaking outside the window and my bedside clock announced that it was morning, still a few hours before I needed to be at school. I climbed to my feet, with my head spinning, and tottered over to the mirror. My whole body ached, but a sharp pain in my side needed to be investigated immediately. With shaking hands, I raised my shirt and looked at my ribs. There it was, a tattoo of a red eagle, wings wide, claws dripping blood. As shallow as it may seem, I was so delighted at the sight of it that the confusing events of the night before were purged from my mind. I stood there admiring it already feeling more like a man than a boy. But as I peered closer at the magnificent bird, something looked a little wrong. I had read that a new tattoo didn't look its best at first, but this one looked really strange. It was angry around the edges rather than on the design itself, raised and raw. But what did I know? I never had a tattoo before. How could I tell what they're supposed to look like when they're new? I went into the bathroom and gently cleaned the area. It was agony to touch it, but I was far too excited to care. It needed to look its best so that I could show it to Daniel. He would appreciate what I had done and understand the importance of the thing. I positively skipped to school. It was all I could do not to show it to my friends, to everyone I spoke to, but no, I needed to save it for my tattoo twin. I was breathless with excitement, but he wasn't in. I asked around, as casually as I could, but no one seemed to know where he was. I trudged home at the end of the day, trying to keep my disappointment from turning to tears. What did it matter if he didn't see it today? Daniel would be in tomorrow, or, or the next week, and I could show him the tattoo then. I only had to wait. But he wasn't in the next day, or the day after that. I came down to breakfast on Saturday morning, and as soon as I walked through the door into the kitchen, I knew something was wrong. My mother was hanging up the phone, her face a little pale. She looked up at me as I entered, with tears in her eyes. What's happened? I asked. She almost ran over to me and swept me into a tight hug. Her arms pressed against my side, and I almost cried out at the pain, pushing her away. She wiped her eyes. Simon? Someone from your class has been killed. 
a chill ran over me. I felt a sudden leadenness in my stomach. An awful inevitability. Who? I asked, although I was sure that I already knew. Daniel Lawman. She probably said other things after that, but I didn't hear them. I went straight to my room, cold with shock. I didn't speak, didn't eat. My mother was sympathetic but a little confused. She hadn't realized, she said later, that the two of us had been so close. It came out that his body had been found on an industrial estate. The cause of death wasn't clear at the time, but there had been significant blood loss from a large wound on his side, over his ribcage. Some odd, ritualized mutilation, it was theorized. I stood in front of the mirror looking at what had been, for a few glorious days, my pride and joy. I felt sick. Now that I looked closely, I could see the tiny stitches that held on my beloved tattoo. I could see that it was raised where Daniel's skin jutted up against mine. Overwhelmed with sickness and horror, I tried to work my fingers underneath it, ignoring the agony of doing so, to try and pry it from me, but it was no use. Our flesh was already melding together. It should have been impossible. My body should have rejected the graft, but instead it was knitting into me, as if it was just a wound to be healed. After another three days, no one would have been able to tell that the tattoo ever belonged to someone else. Sometime later, when the investigation had died down a little, I returned to Jack's address. I wasn't entirely surprised to see that the building was almost completely gone. Blackened, charred, and derelict. I could tell the police about Jack, I suppose. But would they really believe me? My wild story of how I ended up with Daniel Lawman's tattoo on my body? Maybe. Maybe not. But mostly I feared that someone will see it and end up with a burning desire for it like I did. But they'll find Jack and ask for an exact copy. And then he'll come for me and pass on his Red Eagle tattoo to the next customer. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed The Tattoo, as written by Jay King and performed by Mick Dark. As a reminder, Mick's ongoing series of the same name, Mick Dark, can be found on our YouTube channel, where you'll find new regular releases from him and a playlist with all his stellar stories compiled in one easy place to find. So if you enjoy his rendition of tonight's sinister tale, please do him a favor and check him out and let him know that we sent you. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you as written by Micah Edwards, and it's performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights 2019 Evil Idol voice acting champion and host of our newest series, Bermudez Triangle, none other than Luis Bermudez. In it, we'll meet a gentleman who, while out one night with friends on what should have been an uneventful evening, sees too much. Something he'd prefer to never see again. But fate, it seems, may have other plans. Now, without further ado, I present to you the Opalesque. I don't know exactly how this story started. It was already in motion well before I became aware of it. My involvement in it began with Christian and Philip. Christian, who was always late, and Philip, who was always early. These two were part of our same friend group, but as you might expect, they often passed like ships in the night. It was even a joke that they were the same person, like Clark Kent and Superman, and that's why you never saw them in the same room together. Obviously, they weren't, and in fact, we routinely hung out with both of them at the same time. But if either of them brought that up, we'd just accuse one or the other of being a paid actor hired to throw us off the scent. So, the night of the dinner party, the night of the attacks, it wasn't any surprise to anyone that we were several hours in and Christian wasn't there yet. Nor was it any particular surprise when Philip announced that he had an early morning ahead of him and was heading home. He was always the first one to tap out of any social gathering. It was really convenient, honestly. He clearly felt no social stigma about declaring that he'd had enough, and it freed the rest of us up to leave whenever without being the one who bailed out early. Phil said his goodbyes and that it was just the five of us, me, Hamish and Charlene and Silvio and Abram. No one there was the kind to make me feel like a fifth wheel, but I definitely knew that I was the only one there not coupled up. I was just thinking that maybe I should call it an early night and follow Phil out the door when Christian showed up. He entered with his usual gusto, banging open the door and loudly declaring, Now it's a party! Friends, you won't believe what I found! <laughs> Is it a watch? Silvio asked pointedly. We finished the dinner party over an hour ago. Ah, you only finished the dinner part. Now we're at the party bit. <laughs> anyway, we both know you didn't set a place for me. It was true. Silvio and Abram had not. We would have made room for Christian at the table if he'd been there on time, of course, and certainly he would have gotten food, but there really hadn't been many leftovers as it was. We all knew he was never going to be there to eat it. 
As an apology for my tardiness and an attempt to win my way back into your good graces, I have brought wine," Christian said, producing two bottles from a bag slung over his shoulder. And another gift which I discovered on the way here, but which I will only unveil once we have had a chance to properly set the scene. Silvio accepted the bottles with a nod of thanks and carried them over to the bar. <laughs> I assume you'd like the first glass from your gift? He asked as he uncorked the first bottle. Well, I'd hate for you to think it might be poisoned, <laughs> laughed Christian. I'm merely demonstrating that I wouldn't give you anything I wouldn't drink myself. Silvio passed a glass over to Christian. He sniffed it, sampled it, and declared it good. Fit for my hosts, he boomed and as you can see, no unexplained rashes or foaming at the mouth. The two classic signs of poisoning, said Charlene. And well, I've never been poisoned, so I'm only guessing. The point is, drink up, friends. Silvio poured glasses for us all and handed them around. Only six? asked Christian. None for good, Philip? Silvio cocked an eyebrow at him. Is this your way of saying that you'd like a glass for each of your personalities? You still only have one mouth. We're different people, Christian protested, as you'll see shortly when he gets back from the bathroom or wherever he is. Uh-huh, said Hamish. He made air quotes with his fingers. Phil left just before you got here, as if you didn't know. Totally different person than Phil. Christian looked confused. Okay. Okay, no, but seriously, he's really not here? You know you two run on different schedules, Charlene said. Right, yeah, but his car is still outside. This revelation was met with confounded silence from all of us. Huh? Charlene said after a moment. Maybe he was just getting ready to leave as you pulled up, and you just didn't see him in the car? Abram got up from the couch and crossed to the front window. He peered out, cupping his hands around his eyes to block out the light from the living room. No, Christian's right, he reported. His car's still out there. We got up to look, as if we might see something different. Sure enough, Phil's car sat in the yard with everyone else's still and silent. We could see no sign of movement from inside. I'm going to make sure he's all right, said Abram, putting on his shoes. The rest of us followed suit curious to see what was going on. Armed with our cell phone flashlights and our glasses of wine, we traipsed out into the night to see what our friend was doing. I don't know what I expected. To see him changing a tire, maybe, or taking a nap in the back seat? Certainly he had to be somewhere in the vicinity of the car. Where else would he go? We were easily 20 miles outside of town. The house was surrounded by acres of woods. The nearest neighbor was at least a mile down the road. And yet, the car was empty and still locked. I peered inside just in case, but saw nothing more than a coffee cup in the cup holder and a sweatshirt folded up on the passenger seat. There was nowhere for Philip to hide inside the car, even if he had any reason for wanting to do so. Maybe he got an Uber? Abram asked uncertainly. We all drank some at dinner. Maybe he didn't want to drive. It seemed unlikely. None of us had seen him call for a rideshare, and surely if he had, he would have waited inside the house with us and left when the driver arrived. Still, no other option made any sense at all. So I slowly began to talk myself around to believing it. Then Hamish said, 
What's this on the ground? We all gathered around to look. He was near the trunk of Phil's car. His flashlight was focused on a patch of grass three or four feet across. The grass seemed oddly shiny and dark at the same time, like oil had spilled on it. Hamish crouched and swiped a finger carefully across a blade of grass. A long, sticky strand stretched between his hand and the grass as he stood back up, snapping only after it was a foot or more in length. Hamish made a face as he inspected his finger. Ugh, that's gross. It feels like snot. (sighs) Disgusting, Hamish, said Charlene, but his attention was still focused on his finger. He rubbed it against his thumb, then sniffed it. Is that blood? He asked. Blood doesn't stretch like that, Silvio said. Yeah, but look at this. He held his fingers out as we crowded around. Beneath the slimy coating, his thumb and forefinger shone red with what looked all the world like blood. But what would it be from? Abram asked. We all shone our lights around, looking for the source of the blood and goo. Silvio gasped. Phil's under the car! Phil, are you alright? He knelt. An instant later, he screamed, falling over backwards and scrambling to get away. Silvio! Silvio, what is it? Abram demanded, but I had already seen what he had seen. Phil's hand was sticking out from under the car. But Phil was not under there. The hand ended halfway down the forearm in a ragged, bloody stump. The severed end glistened with a thick, gelatinous goo. The rest of Phil's body was nowhere to be seen. The next few minutes were chaotic. There was shouting, screaming, and running. We all went for the house, which was good because it kept us together, but we were definitely in each other's way. I've never truly understood panic, as I did in that moment. I knew what to do, knew that I should be calm. That tiny detached part of me could only watch as I fled like a frightened animal. I got myself back under control once I was inside, and there was a wall between me and whatever had happened outside. I called the police and told them what we'd found. They assured me that the house was the safest place to be and recommended that we all stay together for safety until they got there. Lock the doors, they said, as if we hadn't done that the instant that Abram's heels had crossed the threshold. Okay, the police are coming, I told everyone as I hung up. They'd obviously all been listening to my half of the conversation anyway, but I felt the need to say something. They'll be here soon. How soon is soon? asked Silvio, his voice rising. Someone murdered Philip. They cut him up, and we never heard anything. Abram pulled Silvio close and held him as he shook. It'll be okay. We've just got to sit tight. We'll we'll be out of this soon. Philip won't, Silvio sobbed. No one had any response to that. We all just listened to Silvio cry. Hamish crossed to the fireplace and picked up a poker. He looked at us almost sheepishly. Better than not being armed at all, he said. Charlene cast a doubtful eye over the remaining implements, an ash shovel and a brush. I'll just stand behind you then. Are the windows locked? Christian asked. How about the back door? I think so, Abram said. They should be. I'll go check, said Christian, and left the room. We heard him moving around, followed by a sudden shout of surprise. Christian! I shouted, leaping to my feet. 
but he was already hurrying back into the room. His eyes were wide. This is nuts, but I swear I just saw Phil's face at the window, he said. What if he's not dead? Someone tore his arm off, Charlene pointed out. Yeah, but that's survivable. Look, I don't know. All I know is, as I turned toward one of the windows, I saw a face staring in at me. I swear it was his. I shouted. The face vanished. I came back in here. He paused. I want to open the back door and see if he's outside. No way, said Silvio. No, no way. He might be alive, Christian insisted. And if he is, he needs our help. I'm not stupid enough to open the door by myself and let some serial killer in to hack everyone up. I want you all to come with me. And if you're all against it, then fine. We pretend I just imagined it and we never open the door. But I want to look. I don't want to leave him out there. Silvio was already shaking his head again, but Abram spoke up first. If there's even a chance, we should look. We were fine when we were out front together. We can afford a quick look out the back door, and if we can still somehow save Phil, we have to try. I'm not going, said Silvio. Christian nodded. Stay here with him, he said to Abram. The four of us will go look. We'll be right back, either with Phil or with the knowledge that we couldn't have helped him. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hamish, Charlene, Christian, and I made our way to the back door. We let Hamish lead, since he had the only weapon. But once we entered the kitchen, the rest of us armed ourselves with knives. Where did you see him? I asked. Christian indicated one of the windows. He was right there. I was walking this way when... Look! Hamish cut him off, pointing the poker at a different window. I swung my head in that direction just in time to see a face disappearing into the darkness. It was poorly lit, and I had only barely glimpsed it, but it might well have been Phil. There had been something wrong, though. He'd seemed almost to glisten like an oil slick. I thought about the dark slime on the grass and wondered how badly hurt he was. Is he okay? What's he doing? Asked Charlene. I don't know, said Christian. Back me up. I'm opening the door. We nervously took up defensive positions as Christian turned the handle. The door opened, letting in the cool night air. Outside was dark and quiet. Even the bugs seemed to have gone silent. Phil? Christian called, taking a step onto the back stoop. Phil, say something if you need help. He paused and we all listened but heard nothing. Christian took another step outside, raising his cell phone light high. Philip! He's not there, Hamish said. I don't know what you saw, but... There was a sudden skittering of feet, and then the window smashed. Something huge, jagged, and opalescent smashed its way through. It stood as tall as a small horse, with legs like a praying mantis and a shell like something from the deep ocean. As it scrabbled frantically inside, two of those serrated legs dug deep into Hamish's shoulders. Hamish shouted, 
swinging frantically with the poker, but he was inside its grip and couldn't get a good hit. Help me! He cried, but I was frozen by what I saw on the creature's shell. It was lumpy and misshapen, the shiny surface raised into smooth protrusions that looked strikingly like various animals. In the middle of the mall, staring at me from less than a foot away, was a human face. It was unmistakably Phil's, sticking outward from the hard shell of the creature as if it had been shoved into a wet mold. The creature hissed. A rank vapor rolled outward from it, stinking of rot and stinging the eyes. I fell back, coughing, and as I did so, the mouth on its belly irised open. Its entire underside was one tremendous mouth, ringed with row upon row of slicing, sharp-edged teeth. It contracted its forelimbs, dragging Hamish closer, and he screamed again. Then Christian was there, grabbing the poker away from Hamish and smashing blow upon punishing blow down onto the creature's shell. The thick surface resisted the first two hits, but on the third strike, a ragged crack appeared. The creature hissed again, filling the room with that horrible stench, but Christian continued to pummel it. Charlene, emboldened by his success, began to stab at it with her knife. Her slashes skidded off the shell, so she switched to striking at it from underneath, stabbing it in the soft gray tissue of its mouth. I struck it with one good blow in the mouth with my knife, but it jerked as I hit it and pulled the knife away from me. I tried to grab it back, but the gnashing teeth dissuaded me. Instead, I seized the nearest limb and wrenched it upward off of Hamish's shoulder. I could feel spines tearing into my palms, but I ignored the pain and shoved as hard as I could until I saw Hamish twist free. Unwilling to lose its meal, the monster lunged forward, dragging its entire bulk into the house. It knocked me over, pinning my legs beneath it. The wet slime engulfed my shin. The teeth began to dig in. I felt myself being drawn under. Before I could be dragged beneath, Christian stabbed downward using the poker as a spear. The shell, now spider-webbed with cracks from the repeated blows, shattered beneath this final assault. Whatever the poker struck beneath the protective carapace must have been vital, for the creature collapsed almost at once. I tried to pull my leg free, but the teeth threatened to flay my skin, and instead I called for help. Get this thing off of me! It was Abram and Silvio who rushed my aid. To the aid of all of us, really. We were all bleeding, coughing, and panting from exertion. The encounter had taken less than half a minute, yet I felt as if I'd finished a triathlon. Abram and Silvio had barely had time to get to the kitchen doorway before it was all over. They lifted the monster's body, allowing me to slide free. They brought towels, bandages, and antiseptic. They wrapped my hands, Hamish's shoulder, and a dozen miscellaneous injuries that Charlene and Christian had suffered. They were simple, important tasks. They gave us something to focus on. They kept us from having to think about what had happened. Eventually, though, everything was cleaned and bandaged, and a dead monster still lay at our feet. Icker dripped from its wounds, mixing with our blood and its horrible thick saliva to make a spreading puddle on the kitchen tiles. And the face of our dead friend still stared sightlessly up from the creature's side. What is it? Abram finally asked. It's not like he thought any of us would have the answer, but someone had to say something. How could... Wh where did... What is it? Exactly what we already knew. Hamish said grimly. Philip's gone. 
You don't think, maybe? Charlene started, but Hamish cut her off. No, look at all the rest of these. Squirrels, cats, that one looks like maybe a fox. These are what it's been eating. It kills them and then somehow presses their face into its shell. Look, the smaller ones are less distinct. It's been growing as it eats, working its way up to bigger and bigger things. The impressions of the small animals have been stretched out as the shell grows. The bigger ones, the ones it's only been able to get recently, they're perfectly clear. And Philip. He trailed off, not needing to finish. Philip's face was as clear as if it had been sculpted. He was gone, like everything else depicted on the creature's shell. But why? Silvio asked. What does it get out of taking impressions of the things it eats? Mating ritual, maybe, I suggested. Animals have all sorts of weird ways to attract mates. This would show how proficient of a hunter it was so that... I stopped abruptly. Christian's face, normally ruddy and animated, had gone slack and turned a sickly pale green. No, no, he muttered. Mates, of course. What? I asked. He looked around at the shattered window, at the wide open room. Everyone, quick, we need to get to a safer space. But it's dead, Abram started. Now, barked Christian. Abram jumped, alarmed. Is the living room good enough? Somewhere without windows would be best. Somewhere we can all fit. Silvio was shaking his head. It's an open plan. There's nothing like that. Anywhere where we can turn the lights off and hide then, insisted Christian. What's going on? I asked plaintively. I told you I found something on the way here. Come back to the living room. I'll show you. We all followed him in a tight herd. Christian retrieved the bag that had contained the wine and reached inside. He pulled out a smooth, gleaming white pearl, bigger than any fist. Oily rainbows flicked across its surface as he held it up for our inspection. Is that a pearl? Asked Silvio. I thought it was. Not a real one, obviously, but something manufactured, maybe. I found a cluster of them on the side of the road on the way here, nestled up against the trunk of a tree. I thought maybe they'd fallen off of a truck. There certainly wasn't anyone else around to claim them, so I took them. But we know now, don't we? They're not pearls. Christian walked over to the fireplace and set the pearl down on the bricks. Kneeling next to it, he raised the poker over his head and swung it downward, impacting the smooth sphere with a resounding crack. The pearl smashed open. A thick, gray liquid oozed out into the fireplace. Among the brittle shards, something moved. It was about the size of my cupped palm, with jagged legs and a smooth, shimmering shell still unmarked by any protrusions. It was the creature we had fought, wrought in miniature. Christian crushed it brutally with the poker. He grabbed his bag and upended it, dumping out five more spheres. Again and again, he brought the poker down, shattering the shells and destroying the tiny creatures within. Mates, he said in between blows. There's no such thing as one of something. Nothing's unique. Everything that lives breeds. We didn't find the only one. We just found the first. But you found its nest, I offered. I found a nest. What are the odds these are the only six eggs? 
And if these were laid in a clutch, the one that we killed, the full-grown one, probably had siblings too. He stood, his murderous work done, assuming that one was even full-grown. Just then, blue strobing lights washed through the room. Through the front door, we could see a police car outside. We need to get them in here, Christian said, striding to the front door. They have no idea of the danger they're walking. As he opened the door, a creature took him in the left shoulder with a hooked forelimb that spun him around and dragged him out backwards, dropping its bulk across his torso and driving him to the porch with a sickening snap. Christian's legs kicked twice and went still. I heard the confused shouts of the police, followed rapidly by gunshots. The creature on the porch jerked from repeated impacts before collapsing over what was left of Christian's body. Even as its life drained away, I could see the shell slowly rising, molding itself into the beginnings of a head-sized lump. There was a scream from outside. It was followed by more gunshots, then another scream, this one more intelligible. Get it off! Get it! Then, there was nothing. I would like to say that I made a considered plan, that I decided that the creatures outside were probably occupied and it would be safe to make a run for it. I would like to say that I urged my friends to join me. The truth of the matter is that something snapped in my mind, and I ran. I had seen too much that night, and all I wanted was to be somewhere I never had to see anything like it again. Hamish and Charlene ran with me, I know. I know this because I heard Charlene screaming Hamish's name, and Hamish simply screaming as something massive dragged him off into the night. I do not know if Charlene made it to her car. I don't know if Abram and Silvio were safe in their house. All I know is that I got to my car and floored it out of there, spitting chunks of dirt from the yard as the tires dug for traction. I hit the road and never looked back. I didn't stop until I was all the way back home, at which point I collapsed against my steering wheel and wept. I called, of course, once I was myself again. I tried all of their phones. I don't know what I would have said if they had answered, but it doesn't much matter, as none of them picked up. Abram, Silvio, Charlene, I know where they are. They're all out there somewhere in the woods, their faces pressed horribly against the inside of an opalescent shell. I hope you enjoyed The Opalesque, as written by Micah Edwards and voiced by Luis Bermudez. If you enjoyed that performance, don't forget, you can hear more of Luis Bermudez via his new series, Bermudez Triangle, exclusively on our official YouTube channel, where you'll hear haunting new tales every month. If you check him out, be sure to give him a thumbs up and leave a kind word and tell him you heard him here on this program and that Steve sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Lastly, if you enjoyed the Opalesque and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, Micah Edwards, you can support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Edwards. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Edwards, spelled E-D-W-A-R-D-S, and you'll be redirected to the author's Amazon profile, where you can buy his books today, 
including his collection of the many tales he's written over the years, entitled Fright Bites, as well as the many anthologies he's been featured in over the years. And again, if you enjoy what you read, don't forget to leave him a five-star review and a kind word, and let him know you heard about him here on this show. Thanks so much for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. It means more to us than you can imagine. And with that, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.